Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Autoramus Bulletin. On this episode, I speak with Joseph O'Brien, the managing editor of Autoramus Bulletin, about our 25-year history. So without further ado, another Autoramus interview. Joe, how are you doing today? We're doing fine. Uh, Excellent. A little cold up here in Wisconsin, but doing well. You get all your farm chores done? Well, I'm the I'm the cheap Irish laborer. I, I don't do too many farm chores unless they need me. Okay, so you ju- your pointing finger is operating functionally then, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, got it. Well, uh, Joe, you've been tasked with kind of looking through the archives and going through uh, all of the back issues and figuring out and studying all the history of Otteramus for this 25-year celebration. And I thought it'd be fitting to talk about the very beginnings of Otteramus to start and to give uh, readers and followers of Otteramus a little more information about who we are and where we came from. So why don't, why don't you start at the beginning? How, how did Otteramus get started? What are the roots of this wonderful organization? Well, uh, I guess the best place to start would be uh, with a, there was a, a letter. Uh, as um, So I wrote this article um uh, beginning of the year, I guess it was right uh, about the about the 25th anniversary. Basically, looking back at the history of Adoramus, and in a lot of ways, it started with a letter from uh, none other than at the time uh, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. And there's a little backstory to that. Um, in fact, it was Father Fessio. It was a letter to Father Fessio, and Father Fessio had it in his mind. He was already started up um, Ignatius Press. And he said, you know, it would be great if we could start a um, liturgical journal of some sort uh, that kind of uh, uh, address more broadly what um, what the liturgical concerns and issues are of the day. And, and this is back in this would be back in 1995. Um, if I have my date correct, which I'm pretty sure I do. Um, back in 95. And this was at the I guess you could say at the height of the uh, liturgical wars or however you wanted to put that. And so far as. Uh, People were just not having not having good experiences um, with mass, and I, you know, I don't mean by that that they were not getting anything out of it. I mean that there were liturgical abuses and uh, things like that that basically um, they were kind of getting fed up, and they could had they really had nowhere to turn in a lot of ways in terms of uh, you know whether it was their own pastor or sometimes, unfortunately, their own bishop really didn't uh, really didn't place a premium on. Um, ours celebrandi, as they say, uh, the, mm-hmm. the proper and and, uh, and high art of celebrating uh, the liturgy. So, um, Father Fessio was hearing from people about this, and at one point, so he, he apparently in this this letter he actually sent sent to us when um, when I interviewed him for the story. He said, "Well, I, let me send you this, and we can talk about this as well." So it was this letter. Um, he would go over every year to. Um, uh, to Rome to visit with Cardinal uh, Ratzinger, um, and and basically uh, at one point he was uh, visiting him while he was finishing up his book on the liturgy called Spirit of the Liturgy, and he asked him so how how what are you working on these days? He said, well, you know, I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing. This isn't exactly. <laughs> he said, yeah, I'm working on this book on the liturgy. He goes, oh, that reminds me. I you know I've been thinking about this, and anyway, so the, the long story short. Um, He's, he writes a letter kind of laying out everything he, he talked about. And then uh, Cronin Ratzinger sends him a letter back saying, yeah, I think a, a liturgical journal would be a great idea. And again, I'm not quoting, but um, and from there, 
uh, Father Fessio uh, was able to uh, connect with a couple other people. He had, and, and, and at the same time going on, of course, is he's uh, he's going to some of these conferences around the around the country on uh, the proper liturgy, proper way to celebrate the liturgy, and he was kind of inspired that way as well. Um, so he starts getting collecting some people together. Um, one of them being um, uh, Father Pekorsky, who uh, was in charge of. Um, uh, was it called Creed, which was a kind of a, a, a priestly fraternity trying to trying to do the same thing that Eremus is doing now. And I, I'm pretty sure they're still around. Um, and then father, um, uh, there was a father, Brian Harrison, who initially had uh, had stepped up to be the uh, uh, first editor. But uh, uh, he had other things he had to do, I guess. I don't know. Um, and they eventually uh, found. Helen Hull Hitchcock, and they didn't just find her. I mean, she was she was pretty well known. Um, uh, Father Fessy already knew her in a lot of ways and that kind of thing. So, uh, and when they brought her on, she was just an absolute fit, um, just in terms of her. Um, I mean, you, the word has kind of a bad connotation these days, but uh, she was truly an activist in the in the in the in the best sense of that word, a, a Catholic mm-hmm. activist. I mean, defending the faith, um, tooth and nail, uh, pen and typewriter, however you want to put it. <laughs> Um, and so that's how that's kind of how it got started. And then the uh, again to paraphrase something that uh, something Father Fessio said, he said, I was kind of the I was kind of the pioneer, and Father Pekorsky and um, Helen Hitchcock were, were the settlers. So, <laughs> but, but so Father Fessio kind of started started the ball rolling, but it was really uh, Helen Hull Hitchcock and uh, Father Fessio that uh, I'm sorry, and uh, Father Pekorsky that uh, that really uh, got the got the paper kind of up to where it is kind of now. Now it, it started out as a, uh, I believe it started out as a, um, uh, it was a 12 page once a month. And it, uh, soon became a, uh, well, it eventually became a 16 page, uh, twice a month or, uh, mm-hmm. every two months, every t- bi-monthly, yeah, which bi-monthly. could, which could mean lovely. either of those. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the two things that kind of strike me here. Uh, first of all, that uh, I think Adoramus is first cousins with the spirit of the liturgy by uh, Cardinal Ratzinger. So that, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And and uh, the second thing is you, you had mentioned the liturgy wars. I don't think people, uh, younger Catholics who feel like their you know liturgy could be a lot better at their parishes. I don't think they really understand how bad it was at the apex of um, deviation of the liturgical norms. And so I think, uh, you know, when you when you want to complain about the liturgy in your parish, although it might be justified, just know that it probably was a lot worse, uh, you know, 25 years ago uh, when Adoramus needed to be created. And, and, and then, you know, the next thing I, I see, okay, so we have this initiation and, and um, the beginnings of this organization, but it's been around for 25 years. So we've seen a lot. We've seen some different popes, uh, three different popes, and there's been a lot of different things that's happened, especially in the liturgy. Could you give me some, some highlights of the bulletin over these 25 years that you, you think would be important to point out? I think the, the, the big battle uh, that Adoramus fought and won uh, and not single-handedly, there were others involved as well, but uh, really this is, this, this became Helen Hall Hitchcock's crusade uh, was uh, inclusive, uh, inclusive language. The attempt, even by, again, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I can't tell it any other way, but even unfortunately by some bishops at the time uh, who will remain nameless, I won't name names, um, 
they were looking to make a more inclusive language in the liturgy in terms of the English English uh, translation of the liturgy uh, so that you got rid of a lot of the uh, important pronouns that were not just simply, as they might see them as sexist, but they were really indicators. So, for instance, we refer to God in the he, we refer, refer to him as a father because he has a fatherly nature in a way that we, we all just kind of participate in those of us who are dads on earth, but he, he has, he has uh, the absolute understanding of, of fatherhood. He is the absolute understanding of fatherhood. So, um, so it'd be things like that. And, and basically there was a, there was a concerted effort on part of uh, really on the part of uh, some of the more liberal element in the church, but also uh, feminists. And, and some of these feminists, by the way, were not necessarily even Catholic, but they just saw it as a way to undermine the undermine the faith. And Helen Hall Hitchcock really kind of took that on. So there were a number of uh, uh, number of ways in which they they, they made this uh, uh, raised awareness of this of this attack on the church, and in doing so, uh, basically uh, were were able to influence a number of a number of the other bishops and, and, you know, from the standpoint of, oh, yeah, I guess this really is an important thing. So there were a, a, a couple uh, documents that came out at the time uh, soon or soon after that, which kind of made that um, made it clear that uh, the inclusive language was going to be off the table. So, you know, from from that standpoint, that was the that was kind of the big I'd say the big uh, the big battle that they fought. Um, I'd also say uh, another another kind of not so much an event as, as simply a, I, I guess it was an event in a way, but uh, when, when uh, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger became Pope, I think it was kind of a, uh, how would you put it, a culmination and also confirmation of everything that Aramis was working on, because he was, of course, that was his forte was the liturgy. I mean, he, he really, uh, uh, really stressed that in his papacy. And so uh, Aramis, I think, yeah, to a certain extent, Adoramus at that point uh, switched gears, and so there was no longer. I mean, there were still there were still uh, liturgical abuses, and there still are today, unfortunately. But uh, I think at that point they realized, you know, we we we've got we've got the Pope in our corner. He's the one that kind of inspired us in the first place, um, and so they did everything they did they could to support what he was doing um, during his papacy, um, and then I guess the third. The third big point uh, or, or watershed moment, I guess, is when um, um, Helen Hull uh, Hitchcock uh, passed away and the matter of was uh, uh, rudderless and it was a great loss. And, and I mean, it's one of these things. I, of course, wasn't around when she was uh, in charge. But uh, from everything that everyone has said is basically uh, not only did we lose a great lady, a great woman. But uh, we also lost a uh, an important uh, important contributor to to Adoramus from the standpoint of uh, she every single one of uh, the issues that that they they would publish had her mark on it in in an indelible way, um, and so when the um, when the reins were passed over to Chris Carstens. Um, that that became also a big moment, and I think a lot, you know, I would assume a lot of people were probably saying, "Well, what's what's next for Adoramus?" And that's where I think brings us up to the modern 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 uh, uh, iteration, so to speak, of of Adoramus. and we get a you know kind of a a new thing, but also uh, uh, maintaining the same uh, the same mission and the same vision and things like that. Would you say that the early 
portion of the history of Adoramus focused more on just getting people to understand you know, what we're actually supposed to be doing in the liturgy and actually taking part in those conversations that may or may not have actually influenced some of the decisions in a real tangible way to now where it seems like Adoramus is, a, you know, approaching things from a more catechetical perspective where, okay, we kind of have a foothold, we have a little bit of influence and we've done that, but now we have to spend this time also recatechizing people who still haven't learned these things, even after some of the great liturgical minds have, have said them. Yes, I definitely do. And, and in fact, uh, the way I always like to look at it is, uh, you know, the canary in the, in the coal mine, so to speak, for where the liturgy is, or where I should say where people's minds are for the liturgy is um, the quality of the of the priesthood or the quality of the priests coming out of the seminaries. Um, and, and in both my capacity as a, uh, uh, a contributor to Adoramus, but also as a uh, contributor to the National Catholic Register, um, there, there have been countless times where I've talked to priests, you know, young priests usually, but sometimes older ones will recognize, you know, they, they kind of held their, held their own throughout the, the rough times of the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. Um, but the young priests would always uh, speak of learning the liturgy in a way that, uh, you know, previous previous uh, seminarians, I suppose, would, you know, they'd be, they'd be considered rigid or they'd be considered, uh, you know, they'd have some kind of stigma because, oh, they want to learn Latin. What they want to, you know, all these all these things which are which are, you know, were called for by the by the reform. Um now are actually being taught in in the seminaries uh, as opposed to just simply you know loosey goosey um, you know do it do it as as you will um, so when 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 we talk about this uh, this catechetical uh, uh, aspect of Adoramus that you were mentioning Jesse I think yes we're we're in uh, uh, we're in step with what the seminarians are doing and I think that they they definitely see it that way I mean the, the whoever the formators are in those in those seminaries got the picture and they realized. Hey, we've got to teach them first and foremost. We've got to teach them how to celebrate the the liturgy properly. Um, everything else, you know, uh, it, which isn't to downplay everything else, right? Obviously, there's there's the uh, there's the liturgical aspect, which is the you know the prayerful aspect of the church, and then there's also the active part of the church, right, where you go out, ita, right. Um, mm -hmm. And and I think that that's that's reflecting what they do in the liturgy is reflected in what they do say in the soup kitchen or what they do in the, uh, you know, visiting hospitals or whatever it is that they're, what they're doing in their active uh, pastoral roles. Absolutely. And you need to look no further than the article in Adoramus about uh, social regeneration by uh, Dom Virgil Michael. Um, and I, and I, I love what you said about kind of seeing young priests uh, interested in some of this stuff. And I think personally, uh, this is conjecture, but I think one of the reasons is because they didn't live through Vatican II. So there's no emotional baggage where they had to say, oh, this is what it was like before. This is what it was like during. There, there's no emotional attachment in the way that people had an attachment to the liturgy while all of that was happening. And there was a lot of confusion and misunderstanding. And so not having to deal with any of that, they can approach it as Christians, <laughs> you know, who are interested in this and they don't have to deal with any preconceived notions. They can just take, you know, the rights and they can use that as their hermeneutic, which I think is appropriate. So uh, that brings me to my next point is that uh, another recent article that we've published 
on uh, our readers. We've interviewed readers and and you did a, a great little piece, uh, you know, interviewing them and finding out what they were interested in and why they were interested in. I'd love to hear a little bit about what surprised you most about the Autoramus reader base. Uh well, mostly that uh, I, I, it didn't. I, I didn't really know what to expect. So it kind of whatever whatever we got was kind of surprising. And I don't mean that from the standpoint of are they going to answer, but I meant that from the standpoint of I'm, you know, from from both responses that you got. That's right. <laughs> no, no, uh, from the uh, just from the from the standpoint of uh, you know, I'll admit it. I mean, I've only been on the job uh, for a couple of years now, and I, and I do get a sense of the readership through the letters that they send, although. Uh, that was one of the things that I made a point of in my article was that, uh, you know, the the the, the reader's uh, letters used to be uh, of such a volume that sometimes they take up two, three pages, as I mentioned in the article. Um, and we just don't get them anymore. And I don't think that that's from lack of interest. I think that just has to do with the fact that most people are doing email these days. The idea of writing, actually sitting down and writing a letter doesn't really doesn't really compute. I mean, it's not something that, uh, unfortunately, uh, letter writing is uh, is is not a. If it's not lost to our culture, it's certainly been uh, eclipsed by uh, social media and all those things. But that said, uh, what I guess I looking at the um, the responses that we did get, I guess I was I was mostly surprised by the fact that the, the enthusiasm came from a good number of recent subscribers. So these weren't uh, long-term subscribers, although we did have a couple of those, and and they were just as enthusiastic as usual um, in terms. Of, and I don't mean that from the standpoint of we're taking it for granted, but they still see a good product being put out, and and they and they let us know about that. But these new new um, uh, the new uh, readers, the new subscribers, however you want to put that, the new readership, um, they uh, came by uh, Adoramus as kind of a um, an add-on, I guess you could say. So they would either, uh, and I guess this is where I get to toot your guys' horn, uh, either they would listen to the liturgy uh, liturgy guys, or they would uh, go to Adorama's uh, website, or they would even just simply um, talk to, perhaps talk to pastors or talk to other people who have read it, or however you want to, want to, want to put it that way. Um, but but their first, their first uh, inclination was simply to go to a podcast or go to a website, uh, and only afterwards did they realize, oh, there's a hard copy that you can you can subscribe to. Mm-hmm. And so that's that I guess that in a certain sense was kind of surprising that that in a day when uh, when the newspaper as such is kind of not not what it used to be. Certainly, it's not uh, it's not uh, grandpa sitting down with the newspaper every night and, you know, instead of uh, getting his news off the Internet. Well, it's funny because I, I think you mentioned that we don't get any, you know, as many, you know, handwritten letters as before. But but I think new media is kind of striking. And I don't know if uh, Chris shared this with you. I sent him this thing that I saw. Somebody tagged Adoramus in a meme and it was a it was catechetical memes. It's a Facebook page. And they were kind of uh, lamenting or joking the fact that um, they can't get any apostolic letters on the Vatican's website, but they can find them on Adoramus's uh, website. And so uh, just being a, a huge resource, not just for, you know, really amazing articles, but also for, for documents and references and translations and the breadth of work that uh, Adoramus has done is, is amazing. And what's more is that I think the legacy – and history is still relevant today. So, for example, I, I had just alluded to that article on 
social regeneration. That was something that somebody wrote, you know, almost 100 years ago. Right. And it's still relevant today. And, and I would say almost more relevant today. And so if you are listening to this, I highly recommend that you look into some of the back issues of Autoramus and do some digging and, and find something that is interesting. You use the search tool on our brand new website. You can find lots of really great stuff. And I know that we're in the process of transitioning uh, all of those into the new website, but there's still a lot there. And, uh, Joe, my last question for you is, you know, after having done all this research and talked to all these people and, you know, having uh, probably the most institutional knowledge of what's going on at the organization, where, where do you see Adoramus's place in liturgical renewal in the, in the oncoming years? Yeah, um, I, I guess I'd go back. We kind of already answered this question in a certain sense, but to put a finer point on it, I do believe uh, to the extent that as the, as the liturgy becomes more important for Catholics, as it becomes the important thing for Catholics, and, and by that I don't mean uh, the, the, uh, the way that it's important for a liturgist. I mean just simply that they're living, um, and, and we'll see this in the upcoming uh, issue uh, coming out in November, but uh, are they living holy lives? Or are they living liturgical lives, right? Uh, we had an article in there about uh, what some might consider the most boring, uh, one of the most boring um uh, books in the Bible, which is Leviticus, which is all about the laws, right? And so you, you don't do this, you do this, and um, don't eat uh, um, uh, meat with milk, and all those kind of things. All these uh, um, uh, Jewish laws. But uh, th in this article, it, it made it clear that no, the the uh, the point of it for for Catholics, uh, what uh, what the Lord wants us to see in in Leviticus is that there is a way of praying and a way of living. And I think um, if if yeah, I mean, if if I were to look into my uh, crystal ball or whatever, uh, I would say that that's exactly what uh, Edoramus has been doing for the last number of years, and will continue to do so. But with with even uh, uh, I would say with even uh, greater sense of urgency and, and necessity from the standpoint of uh, the more Catholics uh, uh, begin to understand that uh, that their faith is not just simply a faith for Sunday, but a faith for every day of the week. Uh, they're going to want to know how to live that faith uh, through the liturgy every day of the week um, if they're not already doing it. So uh, at Aramis stand, I mean, I guess, Jesse, what I'm what I'm most amazed of when I when I when we get the, the new issue together and I've talked to I've talked to uh, Chris Carson's about this, too, is it's just amazing how many w different ways you can approach the discussion of the liturgy and, and, and have it be exciting and interesting. And, and in a certain way that, that story, that uh, article on Leviticus is one, is, is a case in point because how, how are you going to make Leviticus sound interesting? Well, uh, this, this particular writer did so. Um, and I think that that's true also of, of the liturgy in general, that the, that what Adoramus provides and will provide in the future is uh, kind of a, a place to go where the, where the liturgy is being discussed, but it's not being discussed in the upper echelons of uh, theological and um, uh, philosophical uh, ivory towers. It's in a very accessible place where people can say, oh, now I've got a little a little better understanding. Now I've got a little better in, uh, insight into 
this particular aspect of the liturgy or the liturgy as a whole. Well, Joe, thank you so much for, for all that you've done and all of the labor that you've done to go back in time and capture the history of Adoramus for our readers. I truly look forward to seeing your predictions come to life. And, and I would have to agree. I think sacramentalizing the domestic church and, and all of the vocations across the board and getting people to understand what it means to live a sacramental life is the most crucial thing. And so uh, you're doing your part. And uh, again, you mentioned you, if, you, if you listen to this podcast, you read out of Ramus, listen to the liturgy guys, there's endless content out there. Uh, but it's up to you to make sure that you're, you're forming your mind and intellect for these things as well. So, so Joe, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all your work. Yes, Jesse. Thank you for having me. All right. God bless. You too.